With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Dr. Levine's Medical Hour on News Talk 560 KLVI. Dr. Levine is a doctor of internal medicine and is ready to take your calls at 896-KLVI or 800-330-KLVI. You can listen to Dr. Levine's Medical Hour on the air, online at klvi.com, or on your phone with the free iHeartRadio app. Now, here's Dr. Levine. Hey, good morning, Southeast Texas radio listeners and internet viewers. Welcome to another edition of Dr. Levine, Levine Medical Hour. I'm here 8 to 9, studios of KLVI here in Beaumont, Texas, answering phone calls about health care and medicine, as I see it, obviously. Phone lines are open. 896-KLVI, 1-800-330-KLVI. Uh, it's a beautiful uh, Saturday morning. A um, little, little shade, um, so it might be a little rain in the forecast, but hopefully not. Hopefully it'll turn out to be sunny and, and dry. Heat's uh, becoming an issue as we see it. Uh, it was certainly kind of hot this week. Um, a heat wave is coming. Spring is uh, over with almost, so uh, hopefully... Uh, you get in the shade. We don't want you to get too much sun. You know, the sun can be pretty damaging to you and your skin. We talk about covering up using as many sprays as possible. Remember, the sun is the biggest reason for skin damage. Those blemishes, wrinkles, discoloration of the skin, sun is the biggest reason for that. So try to cover up as much as possible, especially if you're out there in the sun. But the dermatologists are wanting us to apply this stuff every day, kind of like a maintenance, especially if you don't want any sort of skin damage. You know, just cover up as a maintenance. Um, but certainly if you're cutting the grass or, uh, like I say, farmer, you're just outside in the sun all the time, go ahead and just get some protection on and, and be careful uh, out there. And obviously if you see something that, you know, you're concerned about, excuse me, a little coffee. Obviously, if you're concerned about something, something's growing, uh, not going away. Um, just recently had a, a patient in the office, maybe about a month ago, uh, came to the office because he had an area on his cheek that uh, would uh, bleed, um, just wouldn't go away. The, just a very, very small skin lesion. I mean, it's almost nothing. It kind of looked like a cut. You know, like if you cut yourself shaving or something like that, it makes a little divot there in the skin. I mean, it was tiny. It looked very benign. Um, but his his story was that it, it wouldn't go away. 
Um, just kept coming back. It was a little painful. You know, it bled periodically. So, um, you know, we sent him over to the skin doctor and, you know, had a biopsy. And it, unfortunately, it did turn out to be, you know, cancer, uh, skin cancer. But, you know, it was a type of basal cell that is easily taken care of. You just kind of resect it and, you know, that's it. But, uh, you know, that, that thing could have festered and grown into something more. But most of the time with the basal cell, it's easily managed. Uh, the skin doctors, dermatologists can resect that. Uh, squamous cell is the second type of skin cancer and again that's the one both of those are kind of in my experience easily managed um i mean obviously you don't want them to get too big because that could cause some you know anatomical issues and you have to undergo more surgeries reconstructive etc you know melanoma is obviously the one that we fear the most uh just because you know it can spread it can come back it can be metastatic you know, and you know, unfortunately can kill you. So melanoma is the one that we fear the most. And again, we just want to remind you that if you see anything that looks suspicious, just bring it to the attention of your healthcare professional or go get it checked out, get a biopsy and just be on the safe side. And it's no different from other sorts of um, screening, skin screening cancer tests that we have. We don't screen for every cancer unfortunately uh, we we have a handful of cancers that we do screen for but there's others that we do not and we're encouraging you know all listeners and patients to take advantage of these these screening tests um, you know because we want to find the cancer at its earliest stage because there's more to do and it is uh, less problematic typically uh, you know we're screening for lung cancer now in smokers so if you are smoking you've been smoking for a fairly long time and technically they want you to have smoked for at least uh, a pack a day for 30 years is kind of the cutoff but obviously if you uh, smoked two packs then you can get your screening test done in 15 years. You'd have to be 54. I'm sorry, 55. And I have found several, several lung cancers uh, using, uh, you know, doing the screening test. So I think it's a very effective screening program. And I encourage all of you, if, if you are a smoker, to ask your healthcare professional about um, whether or not you're a candidate for lung cancer screening. Um, but that is the cutoff. You have to be 55 and you have to have smoked for 30 years, a pack of cigarettes for 30 years. But, you know, sometimes we bend the rules, bend the rules a little bit. And certainly if you have symptoms, um, kind of a nagging cough, maybe coughing up some blood, um, some weight loss, loss of appetite, um, those can be some other symptoms of lung cancer. And certainly you want to go ahead and get checked out. And honestly, in my experience, uh, a chest x-ray, excuse me, a chest x-ray is not adequate. Um, you have to do a CAT scan of your lungs. I've, you know, had a couple of patients that were ultimately diagnosed with lung cancer with normal chest x-rays. So the CAT scan, which we use a lot, I use a lot in my everyday practice, especially in the hospital, 
is the best method to screen or look at the lungs because you know cancers can can hide in between the structures that are in the middle of your heart we call I'm sorry the middle of your chest we call that the mediastinum that's kind of where all your your major blood vessels like the aorta um, your esophagus your airway the bronchus a uh, bunch of lymph nodes hide up in there and on a chest x-ray it can hide and you can't see it especially if it's kind of on the smaller side the, the cancer that is and so you have to get the CAT scan because it gives a more definitive view of the, the anatomy of the lung and the structures in the thoracic cavity as we call that and so that's always going to be the best method to do that. So they do it a little differently for lung cancer screening. They call it low dose, which means you're not getting as much uh, of the radiation. Remember, CAT scans deliver a fair amount of radiation. And, there's, you know, we use a lot of CAT scans every day. And it's, you know, being conversation in the medical community, you know, about just the dangers of too many CAT scans. You know, if unfortunately you have been diagnosed with the malignancy or cancer you know the oncologists use CAT scans a lot for staging as well as follow-up care and you know if you go to any emergency department or any um, healthcare professional's office you know we, we use them a lot just because they do give us a lot of pertinent information very rapidly so I have uh, myself a low threshold to go to CAT scans to look for things. You know, if you have headaches, if you have abdominal pain, chest pain, um, you know, we, we have the dreaded pulmonary embolus that we deal with every single day. And that's, that's a sneaky little sucker there, the pulmonary embolus. Um, you know, it presents in so many different, unusual, unclassic ways that you have, you know, as a healthcare profession, you have to have a low, low threshold to think about it and uh, you know we see it very very often it's a it's a major problem in our country um you know there was a movement several years ago again we we talk sometimes about patient safety here on the air and the whole medical community is trying to improve patient safety out there you know um you know we're trying to make it more systematic so that no matter who you are where you are you're kind of getting the same sort of approach, same sort of care. And a lot of that has to do with uh, protocols that are set in place um, just to remind, just like an airline pilot going through a checklist before he takes off, you know, the healthcare industry is kind of getting to that point. And we're at that point on several issues. And it all has to do with improving patient safety so that you can Go to a healthcare professional's office, go to the hospital, the emergency department, and have safety, safety, safety as the most important thing. Remember, you know, giving you medicines, doing procedures, this is risky stuff. I've told you about this so many times. Um, so that there's an inherent danger associated with that, or harm, I should say, when you go to someone to seek health care, there's, there's always that risk, you know, getting the wrong medicine, getting too much medicine, not getting the right medicine, um, you know, having the wrong procedure. I mean, all that stuff, I mean, that's there. And we recognize that and we're all working together to improve that and uh, decrease. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. 
computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No and limit those sorts of things that happen. But pulmonary emboli. We know it's a big problem in our country, and um, you know when you get admitted, I know to at least to the hospital, you know there's the, the admitting doctors and all the uh, nurses prioritize that, and we implement certain precautions to reduce your chance of having a blood clot. But just out in the community, um, patients present with all sorts of funny little symptoms, and again, you just have to have a very low threshold to think about that. And this blood test that we can order to help us figure that out, but you know, most of the time, classically, uh, a, a blood clot in the lung will normally have, excuse me, some chest pain associated with it. Excuse me. A little thirsty this morning. A little chest pain associated with it. Um, your heart rate might beat rapidly, as you know. Heart rate normal is between 60 and 100. So anytime it's above 100, we get concerned about all sorts of things. And the heart rate can bounce around a lot. But when it's sustained above 100, that's an abnormal symptom or sign. We talk about vital signs. And the heart rate is part of the vital sign. And when it's above 100, we start to... That, that's abnormal. So we have to try and figure out why your heart rate is sustained above 100 so chest pain the tachycardia you can have um, low oxygen just because when you have clots in your lung the lungs cannot do its main job which is to get oxygen into your body and carbon dioxide out of your body the lung is also kind of a filter of the air as well um, but its main purpose is to do that it has a lot of other purposes but that's its main function so when you have clots in the lung then that function is obviously disturbed so you might have low oxygen you can also have low blood pressure um, especially if you have a large clot burden and there's your lungs are just full of clot and it just doesn't allow the blood to flow very well uh, through your cardiac system and so it'll start to decrease uh, your blood pressure Obviously, um, blood clots in the lungs a lot of times are caused by blood clots in your leg. And we call that a DVT, deep vein thrombosis. And again, because of our sedentary culture in this country, as well as our problem with obesity in this country, that's a setup for blood clots in the leg. I mean, unfortunately, we are sitting most of the time. Most of us, not everybody, but we're sitting most of the time and we're overweight. And those are two big risk factors for blood clots. Age is also another risk factor. We see that a lot in elderly patients who come in with uh, clots, the DVTs. And like I said, mainly in the lower extremities, the, the classic presentation is some swelling in the lower extremity, normally one-sided. It can be both, but in my experience, it's going to be one-sided. That just kind of keeps getting worse and worse and worse every day. Uh, the swelling just will not subside. And that's the classic presentation of a DVT. And most healthcare professionals are 
pretty efficient about doing ultrasounds, especially if you're going into a, an emergency department, any sort of swelling of the leg or any sort of pain of the leg, normally they're going to be doing some ultrasounds of either the vein or the artery, you know, because we have an issue with peripheral vascular disease in this country. That's poor circulation. That's the artery. That's the vessel that uh, brings blood to your extremity or to your organ. The vein is the vessel that brings the blood back to your heart and your lungs to be reoxygenated and cleaned and processed so it can go back out and do its job again. So two different things, but again, can sometimes present with leg pain. If you have certain risk factors, then we're going to think about one versus the other. Obviously, peripheral vascular disease or PAD, peripheral arterial disease, uh, is we normally think about that in a person with those risk factors. Smoking is going to be at the top of the list as well as poorly controlled diabetes. Uh, if you've had cardiovascular disease in the past, you've already had a stroke or heart attack, if you have a strong family history. But in my experience, it's the smokers. The smokers normally have most of that PVD, PAD in their legs. Um, even poorly controlled diabetes, it takes a long time for that PAD to develop. But if you smoke, I mean, it's just expedites the development of PAD and so we would think about that if you came in saying my leg is hurting my toe is hurting uh, especially when I walk it's better when I rest uh, that's what we call claudication the medical term um, we would do an ultrasound uh, of that leg there's uh, also some uh, blood pressure measurements that we can take and find out the ratio and depending on the results of the ratio would suggest that you have some PAD and then we would do some sort of um, x-ray. Normally I do ultrasounds and it would show that you have reduced blood flow and then we would probably do what we call an arteriogram or a CAT scan and it basically lights up your circulation like um, a very, def de very definitive, very defined anatomy and then depending on where it was, how bad it was, we would either you know, offer patients some uh, stents, you know, like they do in the heart, they do it in the leg as well. There's a little overlap with who does that. The cardiologist can do it. The radiologist, interventional radiologist uh, can do that. There's some overlap with that. Um, and then, you know, try to do some stents. But if not, then the surgeons, the CV surgeons, which do the open heart surgery, they um, can do bypass procedures just like they do in the heart but they do it in the leg. We do that for PAD, PVD. There's a couple of medicines out there that also help to medically manage that. Um, you know, the, all the blood thinners out there, aspirin, Plavix. Um, there's a circulation medicine out there called Pletal, P-L-E-T-A-L, which you take twice a day, which also helps uh, improve that circulation, walking. But the main thing is just to not smoke. you got to stop smoking. Otherwise, things will continue to uh, get worse. So, if you have any questions, phone lines are open, 896-KLVI, 1-800-330-KLVI. I'll be back in two minutes. You're listening to Dr. Levine's Medical Hour on News Talk 560-KLVI. To join the conversation, call 896-KLVI or 800-330-KLVI. Right, and welcome 
Welcome back to the Dr. Levine Medical Hour. This is Dr. Levine, 896-KLVI, 1-800-330-KLVI. Just, uh, if you have a question, give us a call. The phone line's open. Two-way radio is the way to go. Uh, I'm just sitting here chatting about some medical information, uh, in particular patient safety and blood clots, DVTs, and lung cancer screening, or just screening in general. You know, uh, one other screening test that we do is uh, colon cancer screening and a couple of little new wrinkles that have developed uh, recently. One that's being tossed around is um, starting the screening at the age of 45 for just general screening. As you know, if you have a strong family history or, you know, someone in your first relative like a mother or father was diagnosed with colon cancer at a younger age, you know, in their 40s or 30s. You know, that's high-risk sort of uh, colon cancer. Or if there's some sort of congenital uh, colon cancer disease process, there's a couple of um, diseases out there that cause premature colon cancer. Um, And we would obviously see that in a, a family member. And if someone gets diagnosed with that, then that means if you're a first degree relative then you need to be screened a lot sooner and normally we start screening 10 years prior to the age that the patient was diagnosed so let's say your mother was 45 or your your father was 40 and that's when they got diagnosed with a cancer then we would have this a relative a sibling um start at the age of 30 uh, that that sort of thing but just kind of general colon cancer screening originally was 50 and some uh, medical groups are starting to throw around doing it at the age of 45 because we are finding that there you know this kind of spike increase in diagnosing young people you know just average young people who uh, have colon cancer younger than 50 and so that's been kind of tossed around here recently starting the the screening at the age of 45 instead of 50 like we used to do obviously sooner you know if you have symptoms of uh, potential gastrointestinal problems you know abdominal pain would be one uh, rectal bleeding um, weight loss uh, maybe a unexplained consistent or persistent anemia Uh, could be a contributing cause of that Um, then obviously you can get the colonoscopy sooner and most of the time if a patient comes in with those symptoms I'm already going to do a CAT scan and uh, the CAT scan certainly as I say it's a it's a wonderful piece of work and it's a great test and can pick up on uh, those things as well but 45 is being tossed around it's still controversial like everything in medicine when it comes out brand new it takes six months to a year for uh, even longer for most practitioners to kind of get on board with it you know because it's a a change in the way you do things and obviously you get comfortable with having kind of a routine a pattern of doing things and then some new information comes out and you have to look at it and see if you want to change or incorporate into your practice and some people will some people won't Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Especially when it's brand new, but you know, give it a few years, and as the sea changes, then more and more practitioners will probably adopt that and, and start doing it. So it's brand new stuff. Um, obviously, you can talk with your healthcare professional about that if you're 45, 46, 47. You know whether or not you want to go ahead and and do your col- colonoscopy. Now, one thing that has changed for me in my practice is again this screening of colon cancer we now have these stool card kits and you've probably seen commercials on tv it's called colo guard little um has a little little uh animated character that you know he's uh (laughs) i think it's a little box and he's you know got legs and eyes and all that stuff anyway it's called colo guard c-o-l-o-j-a-u-r-d colo guard you know guard your colon and these are uh, stool kits, and these uh, kind of stool sample or, or stool tests have been around for a while. And uh, I guess people who didn't want to do a colonoscopy previously, we would offer these um, kind of stool tests uh, for them. And, you know, they the previous ones basically was kind of checking for the presence of blood, which um, it when you have colon cancer you know a couple of things can happen and, and one thing is that uh, you know it starts to bleed a little bit more or, or it bleeds I should say especially if you're on like Plavix or aspirin or Coumadin um, Warfarin um, all the other blood thinners out there that we're putting patients on uh, and this is the way we find a, a lot of cancers to be honest with you um, you know a patient comes in with some heart condition or develops a clot and we put them on blood thinners, and then like a month later, two months later, they come in with bleeding. And a lot of times, the bleeding can come from a, a cancer, uh, because cancers bleed more. And so we put them on a blood thinner, and just it just aggravates it. And so they, they bleed, and we look into it, and like, bam, there's a, a cancer there, whether it be in a colon or the bladder. We, we get that a lot. Um, guy or female comes in um, with just bleeding blood they recently got put on uh, eloquis because of atrial fibrillation which is the most common heart irregularity or arrhythmia in our country and then they they start urinating blood and we look in the bladder and bam there's a, a bladder cancer which would not have been diagnosed sooner because they weren't a blood thinner and so we find some of these things um that's how we find cancers sometimes with these blood thinners and that's always the risk with these uh, blood thinners um, is bleeding and we have to weigh the risks and the benefits uh, with that and again remind to remind you the whole aspirin primary prevention remember to talk with the healthcare professional about maybe getting off of aspirin if you've never had a stroke or heart attack um, that's a sea change uh, since in the past few months with uh, doing aspirin obviously if you've already had a cardiovascular event you probably need to go ahead and stay on it um, we had a camera shot caller 
you don't have to be shy. I'm not going to bite. I'm not, you know, hey, we're f family here. Um, epidural steroid injections in the neck. Uh, you know, we get uh, um, several questions about just, you know, neck pain, back pain, sciatica. I talked about that uh, last week. Um, it, it's a big problem in the country, big topic, and it has to do with the several factors. Uh, one, we're, we're uh, living longer. And I've told you before that the musculoskeletal system will decline as you get older, so you can almost expect, anticipate some sort of joint pain, joint discomfort as you get older. It doesn't mean it's guaranteed, but for most of us, we're going to have some sort of joint complaint as we get older, just wearing out. Um, neck pain, back pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, foot pain, hand pain. I mean, just the musculoskeletal system just wears out. And um, so we see a lot of issues with this, uh, what we call cervical spine. Um, that's the neck area. And then we also have the lower spine, which is called the lumbar region. Those are kind of the two big areas of the spine that, that we see issues with. And... You know, what happens is the entire structure of the, the, the bone structure of the spine starts to degenerate. That's the term we use to exp explain the changes that occur. And basically, you get uh, bone spurs. You kind of get some malalignment of the spine. You know, the spine is kind of um, organized a certain way so that there's proper spacing so that the nerves are not being pinched or touched. Um, but as the spine degenerates, then all that alignment starts to change. The bone spurs start to occur. Um, things start getting tight uh, in and around the neck. You start getting more herniated discs and flattening of the discs. So all of this stuff, can, with all the misalignment, starts to put pressure on pain-sensitive structures, and so you'll start to get symptoms from the, this, this degenerative process and things that expedite or accelerate the aging process you guessed it being overweight smoking just being in poor health lack of sleep this is where i see most patients especially smokers i tell pa patients all the time and i know sometimes smokers get a little upset because like god is just beating me over the head with this but I'm just trying to explain to you the trend that I see in terms of smokers. They have the worst pain that responds less well to the current medications. It lasts longer. Uh, it just seems more recalcitrant. So it's like the, and then a lot of smokers will tell me, well, the smoking, um, you know, helps me calm down. I'm, I'm in pain. I'm stressed out. You know, I got to get a cigarette because it makes me feel better. But in my experience, it, it's going to keep that pain generated and it just won't let the pain go away, you know, because your body does, we forget that our bodies are a piece of machinery and it can heal us, it can protect us um, when there's any injury or inflammation, we just have to help it out. But unfortunately, we're in a position where we're kind of doing things every single day to our bodies so that it cannot do that appropriately. And so these symptoms tend to persist. So anybody out there who's sick or is in pain, you have to take care of your body so it can take care of you. You know, get your rest, don't smoke, don't drink, 
that sort of thing. But these injections have been around for a long time. And normally, the uh, here locally, the uh, pain doctors, there's you know, a few uh, pain doctors out there who are doing good work. Um, you know, they use uh, epidural injections to help control some of the pain. You know, if the pain is being generated a certain part of your cervical spine, they can go in there using x-ray equipment and put put a needle right where they think the pain is being generated and they can inject pain medicine and anti-inflammatory medicine, typically steroids, right in that area that's generating the pain. And I think they can do three a year. And so it's an option, you know, when you're suffering from chronic neck pain, it's an option. It's not the cure-all for most people or all people, but it certainly is part of our decision tree when someone comes in with neck pain and we feel like it's just a lot of degenerative joint disease. Uh, we can use these epidural injections to help uh, take care of that. So it is an option for you. doesn't work for everybody, but it is an option and we do recommend it. Anyway... Phone lines are open, 896-KLVI, 1-800-330-KLVI. I'll be back in two minutes. You're listening to Dr. Levine's Medical Hour on News Talk 560-KLVI. To join the conversation, call 896-KLVI or 800-330-KLVI. Welcome back to News Talk 560 KLVI. Phone lines are open 896-KLVI-1800-330-KLVI. This is Dr. Levine, Dr. Levine Medical Hour, talking about some uh, neck pain, cervicalgia is what we call that, um, and uh, just the musculoskeletal issues that can come up as we get older and the options for that. Epidural injections is one of those uh, options. But physical therapy is also another modality as well. And, um, you know, it's something that you should look into. We're trying to be as safe as possible with these medications. So once, uh, we'll call it Martha. What's up? Hi, Dr. Levine. This is Martha from San Antonio. How are we doing today? I'm doing fine, thank you. How are you? All right. I'm sorry for the loss of your lovely mother. Oh... I am too. She was a great lady. She was. Everybody loved her. She was a piece of work. Everybody loved her. I know it. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, so here's my question for you. So knowing her history of cancer, colon cancer, another form of cancer, stroke, high blood pressure and all that, um, I have been on baby aspirin, uh, gosh, for quite some time, 15, 20 years, I suppose. And uh, my doctor, the doctor I was going to originally put me on it, I think because of the colon cancer and the high blood pressure and all that. So I'm, I've still been taking it, um, and I'm not experiencing bleeding or anything like that. I don't have high blood pressure, knock on wood. Um, you know, I walk, eat right, do all your fruits and veggies, water, etc. But um, what are your thoughts on continuing to take that uh, on a daily basis? Yeah, uh, um, the current, based on this latest research, and everyone kind of agrees with this latest research, is that at this point probably you need to talk with your healthcare professional about getting off of it. Um, if 
if I had a patient with similar profile of yours, I would tell them to get off of it um, just because the risk of bleeding is there. And the bleeding, thank God nothing has happened at this point. But the research is suggesting that something is more likely to happen because you're on the aspirin. Um, and bleeding, what do you mean? Like colon, uh, yeah. stomach, uh, any any kind brain. of bleeding? I mean, because obviously when I cut myself, right? Oh, brain. Well, that's yeah. cheery. Yeah. Um, obviously when I cut myself, I, I have a tendency to bleed. And then I get um, a bruise. You know, I'll have not horrific bruising, but some bruising. Yeah, that's okay. That's not a big deal. But, yeah, a lot of people who are on aspirin or any other blood thinner, they'll start to get excessive bruising on their arms. And it's cosmetically right. very disturbing. And, you know, we just we don't have yeah. any good solutions for that. But, um, yeah, bleeding anywhere. But the, the major ones, yes, gastrointestinal bleeding, bladder, brain, you know, those are the things that uh, we do see. Uh, and patients who are taking these baby aspirins uh, for what we call primary prevention, meaning you have not had a cardiovascular event at this point. Um, so, and, you know, this started when I was in San Antonio at the U yeah. University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio when I was a little resident. This is when we started doing this, uh, putting people on aspirin uh, yeah. for primary prevention. So it was... 20 years ago that we started doing this? Yes. And, it, you know... That's probably approximately the time, I, I guess. I, I can't remember. I mean, I've been on it so long, I don't... Yeah, and, um, you know, it's it's a, aspirin is an anti-inflammatory, and uh, they started trying to use it or study it to prevent all sorts of things, and colon cancer was one of those, and it just hasn't caught traction and uh, so, you know, in, order, in terms of preventing colon cancer, it's not a primary re uh, way to prevent colon cancer. So too much risk with the aspirin as it stands now for primary prevention of anything. So it's just not something that we endorse currently. And as you know, you know, we, we're fickle in medicine. Two years from now, we'll say get back on it. But right now, right, <laughs> right now, yeah. the current thinking is that if you've not had anything and your risk profile is low which yours is it's you know even though i've had even though i have the family history and also as you know my sister has high blood every female in our family has high blood pressure what um, they're saying historically yeah what they're saying is treat the blood pressure treat the diabetes don't smoke but aspirin prevention is not the proper way to go at this point aggressively control the blood pressure, aggressively control the diabetes, and that's what they're saying right now. So that's what I'm doing in my practice because, again, I've seen and treated patients with complications from baby aspirin or something like that. I um, Sometimes if patients have multiple risk factors for cardiovascular disease and they were, quote, allergic to aspirin, you know, I used to put them on Plavix. That's a strong blood thinner. But we had oh. this whole concept of prevention prevention and we still do but again as i mentioned patient safety is always there is it safe or is it not and if it's not safe then we're not going to do it and just right now taking the baby aspirin seems to be a little bit risky you know it's not benefiting patients like you who you're doing everything right your weight's down your exercise and pressure is good currently it's a little risky to take the aspirin based on the current research so we're asking 
are suggesting to those patients to get off aspirin. Now, you have to talk to your healthcare professional about right. that. Yeah. Right. So, okay, is there a way to, the be, uh, best way to, oh, I hate to use this word, get off of it or decline the dosage like every other day. No, 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 no. You just stop it. Okay. Just stop it. You know, we have this, I I hear that a lot with medicines. Patients like, well, do I need to wean myself off or can I just stop it? And uh, most medicines, obviously talk to your healthcare professional before you do anything. You just can stop the medicine. I I, I don't have a weaning protocol for most of this stuff, so. Okay. How's the weather there? Thank you very much. How's the weather? Oh, it's cloudy and kind of dreary. You know, it's dreary. We're supposed to have like storms you. later today. Yeah, I think we get them, and then they'll go on y'all's way. So, Thanks for calling. All righty. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Have a good Bye-bye. day. Bye-bye. All right. We need to go on our last break. We have a f- couple of phone callers on the line. Please hold, and we'll be back in two minutes. You're listening to Dr. Levine's Medical Hour on News Talk 560 KLVI. To join the conversation, call 896-KLVI or 800-330-KLVI. All right, go right to the phones. Paul, what's up? Hi, how are you today? Wonderful. How can I help you? Um, I'm uh, I'm in my mid-40s, and I like to drink a lot of milk. What are the advantages or disadvantages of drinking whole milk? Um, let's see, you know, milk has actually taken a beating here in the past several years. <laughs> you know, milk used to kind of be the uh, power beverage, you know, back in the Beaver Cleaver days, you know, everybody drank milk. <laughs> but it's taken a beating uh, recently, and I think it has to do with the kind of the beef industry, cow industry has had some PR issues over the years in terms of just how they do business. And in terms of what they're doing to the animals to uh, produce the animals. And so, you know, anything that happens to the, the cow basically gets into the milk. And, you know, it's, it's widely known. Just the beef industry uses a lot of antibiotics and other medicines to make the cows grow faster and stay healthier. And so all that stuff gets into the milk. And so a lot of... A lot of um, Experts are trying to sound the alarm about just kind of the quality of the milk and just the things in milk. And, you know, milk has sugar in it as well. We're dealing with our obesity issues and just sugar everywhere. And so, um, I, personally, I haven't read any sort of literature that says that, you know, if you drink uh, two glasses of milk or one glass of milk every single day, then you're less likely to have diabetes or more likely to live 10 years or you know there's nothing like that out there that says that uh you know what about the calcium aspect of it is it it good to to, for the calcium for a person my age or yeah yeah I, i mean as a as a male um you know low calcium or um, def- calcium deficiency is not like a huge issue for most men. So it's not like you have to prioritize taking or drinking calcium or drinking a glass of milk because we get calcium in other food items. Um, and it's just not like a big, big deal. But, you know, if you personally like milk and you want to drink milk, there's nothing wrong with that. Especially if you're tolerating it, makes you feel good, then by all means drink milk. I think most people agree that, you know, water is the best beverage and other alternatives would be coffee or tea. And then, you know, just sticking to a diet that 
prioritizes vegetables. You get calcium in vegetables as well. So you want to you wanna eat that as much as possible. Broccoli, Brussels sprouts, spinach, tomatoes, you know, nuts and seeds. You know, all of that stuff has those vitamins and nutrients and minerals that our body needs to protect. So if you want to do milk, that's fine. But I can't tell you that, you know, if you drink milk and you're your neighbor doesn't drink milk, then you're healthier than him. Because uh, what I've tried to promote on this show is that it's not just one thing that you do in terms of your health. You've got to do a few things most of the time to be healthy. So you can drink milk all day, but if you're 20 pounds overweight, that's not good. If you don't exercise any, that's not good. If you're, you know, eating fast food and uh, you eat no vegetables, that's not good either. So you kind of have to do all these things to be healthy uh, at the end of the day. It's not just about one thing. Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much for your time, and you have a good day. Appreciate it, brother. Appreciate your phone call. And, you know, there's a lot of beverages out there. And, um, again, you know, water can get boring. Okay, I'm not, <laughs> I'm going to be realistic. It can get boring. But, you know, that's my drink of choice every day. But I, I drink a spritzer. Um, water, So it has a little fizz and it has some flavor. So it makes it a little bit more exciting. And then I put stuff like lemon and lime in my water. Sometimes an orange slice. Um, I'll do that. Uh, a mint leaf, M-I-N-T. You can put that uh, in your water. Cucumber. I do that as well. Just to kind of give it some flavor. And it's really, it's to me, it's very refreshing. Um, I mean, I like uh, occasionally we'll drink a Diet Pepsi or a Diet Coke. Um, you know, the, the, the beverage just seems so heavy, you know, when you drink it and then there's that aftertaste you have to deal with. You know, it's just not as refreshing as a cold iced glass of uh, water. You know, one thing I like to do is I like, I like the Sonic Ice. I don't know if you've been to Sonic recently, but they have the small little ice cubes. I wouldn't call it a cube. I guess it's a rock, an ice rock, right? <laughs> but um, it's the perfect ice, right? And so sometimes I'll go get like a large uh, cup of their ice and then I'll put my water and uh, lemon and lime and it's just delicious. I mean, it's so refreshing um, to drink that in my opinion. And, uh, you know, when you drink, you put some Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi, just heavy and just the aftertaste and it's sticky and it's just, you can really t obviously tell the difference, especially if you're a big water drinker, that's always going to be the best uh, beverage. But uh, the coffee, uh, not a decaf or a caffeinated, no sugar. And then the tea, you know, it's a lot of tea flavors out there. Uh, sugar is not a flavor, okay? So you have to keep that in mind. You know, mint is a flavor and cherry is a flavor, but uh, not sweet. So keep that in mind. Anyway, we appreciate your phone calls today and your support. Uh, this is Dr. Levine. Thank you for joining me today. Be sure and uh, don't drink and drive. Uh, drink your water and exercise about three days a week for 20 minutes and we'll see you guys uh, next week have a good weekend with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.